Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 122 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and that intro came to you courtesy of my son, who, while we were eating breakfast this morning, I asked about how I should open the new podcast that will begin the new NHL season, and he just screamed hockey. So I'm sure that his excitement reflects the excitement that a lot of you are feeling right now, and it is almost time. By the time most of you are listening to this, it'll be game day. I'll be taking off for Buffalo early Thursday morning. I will be in Buffalo for the game, the season opener against the Sabres, with puck drop scheduled for 7 p.m., And with that, the 23-24 NHL season will officially begin. It began with a few other teams on Tuesday night, but as far as the Rangers are concerned, Thursday is where it all gets started. So we have a lot to get to on this week's episode. I want to mention right off the top that we are going to have a bit of a season preview with our guest this week, Joe Micheletti. From MSG Networks, I think this is the third or maybe even fourth time that I've had Joe on during the preseason to preview the new season. And so I mentioned to him during camp this year, asking if he'd want to do it again. Joe, great guy that he is, was ready and willing and very generous with his time. So we're going to have a nice conversation with Joe where we touch on all kinds of stuff. He has some familiarity with Peter Laviolette, so we'll talk a bit about that. We're going to talk a bit about what he's been seeing at this camp because he, along with myself and a few others, is one of those guys that has watched pretty much every practice. So get some impressions of him about where the Rangers stand, what their issues are, what their strengths are, some players that he has kind of caught his eye so far in this preseason. So a lot to get to with Joe in just a little bit, but... Let's start with all the latest happenings surrounding the Blue Shirts as they prepare for game number one of 82. It sounds very daunting when you look at it that way, that they're going to have 82 more of these, plus they hope the playoffs. But the Rangers, as far as the position they're in right now as they get ready to embark on this grueling journey, is that they are fully healthy and ready to go. There was a few injury concerns that we touched on last week. Philip Heedle, who had the longest absence during camp, returned to the ice over the weekend in a non-contact jersey, but he was a full go for Tuesday and I presume Wednesday's practice. I'm full disclosure recording the first half of this podcast before Wednesday's practice. I'm going to record the second half after, so if there are any news items or big updates, I'll make sure to give those to you guys in the second half of the show. But at this point, I don't really anticipate anything changing. The big thing was Hedl returned to the ice as a full participant on Tuesday, as did Alexi Lafreniere, who missed a practice over the weekend with an upper body injury that it sounds like he sustained during that preseason finale against the Bruins. All of these injuries sound like they have been minor. I spoke to Hedl for a bit in the locker room after practice on Tuesday, and he told me he's feeling great. He said it was very precautionary the amount of time that he took off. A lot of these guys have indicated that. Mika Zibanejad said the same thing to me. He only missed like a half a day, but they all basically said that had these type of injuries happened during the season, they probably would have been out for a shorter amount of time. But I think 
the cautious approach and the wise approach in a lot of these situations is it's training camp. Don't rush them. If an extra couple days gets you as close to 100% as possible or has you feeling better for the new season, then by all means, take that time. And it sounds like that was the case with Heedle, Lafreniere, and a couple of these other guys who got banged up. But right now, Peter Laviolette said everybody is good to go. He will have a 22-man roster at his disposal. I warned you guys that the Rangers would not be carrying 23 this year simply because they don't have the salary cap space to do it. With the current roster that they have, they're left with only 675000 in salary cap space. So that is not enough to fit another player. The league minimum right now is 775000 So they're 100000 short on that. So for the foreseeable future, they're going to need to carry 22 players. The other thing I would note quickly on the salary cap stuff is that if they maintain that space that they have right now, if they keep this roster for the full season, which we all know it's a fluid thing, it's a moving target, there's a pretty good chance we're going to see other versions of this roster over the course of the season. But the estimate right now is that they are on pace by the time we get to the trade deadline, which always, as the season goes on, becomes more and more of a big topic, to have about $3 million in cap space by the time they get to, I believe it's March 3rd, is the trade deadline. So that's just a number to keep in the back of your mind. If you're eyeing trade targets or things like that, they're probably going to have around $3 million by the time they get to that deadline. The Rangers cut their roster down to that 22 number a little bit earlier than I think a lot of us anticipated. The final cuts weren't due until Monday at 5 p.m., but they went ahead and made them all Friday afternoon, right after that preseason finale on Thursday. The only move among the 22 guys who made the team that I think registered as a surprise was Will Cooley, who has officially made this team and will be the only rookie on the roster to begin this new season. I'll raise my hand on that one and admit that I was wrong there. They had 12 forwards in place all summer, and my understanding is that they were very comfortable rolling into the season with those 12 established forwards, a lot of them returning guys, but a handful of new guys, most notably Blake Wheeler, Tyler Pitlick, and Nick Benino. Those guys kind of filling some of the holes from some departures that they had, specifically Patrick Kane, Vladimir Tarasenko, and Tyler Mott. So they had it in place where they were okay with it. And the plan was always not to rush the kids. We, we saw that play out. They set Brennan Offman down, which always was going to be the plan. I think Offman would have needed to, he had a good camp, but I think he would have needed to absolutely light the world on fire for them to consider keeping him. He had never played an AHL game, so they always were going to want him to get some time down with Hartford or up with Hartford before they were ready to give him that NHL opportunity. But Cooley had a full year. So I, I had told you guys that if any one of them was going to be the first call-up, I always believed it was going to be Cooley. That was the impression I got, and that's certainly how it played out. But you got to give Cooley credit here because even though those 12 forwards that I think they were comfortable for their opening night lineup still are here and healthy and ready to play, Cooley simply forced his way onto this roster. He was one of the most noticeable players throughout the preseason at this camp. And clearly 
made a very strong impression on Peter Laviolette and the new coaching staff. Laviolette, every time that Cooley came up in one of these press conferences, raved about him. He thinks that he can be an effective scoring player at this level. He's talked about his shot, but more specifically, he's talked about his size and his strength and his ability to get inside and sort of get some of those garbage goals. This is a guy who we saw in the preseason, perhaps more than anybody else, maybe aside from Chris Kreider, hang around the net. He's big, he's strong. He's listed at six foot three, I believe, but Laviolette said he thinks he's more like six foot four. And a lot of these guys, you see them listed at a certain height and you stand next to them and you're like, ah, I don't really know if I see that. But Cooley is every bit of six foot three. And I would not be shocked if he's a little bit more than that. They do usually early in the season update the weight and the height and, and the things like that. And he's a big, strong kid. But one thing I've noticed being around him more than usual this preseason is he's still thick and strong in a lot of ways and very sturdy, but he looks a little bit leaner to me and he's looked like he has a little bit more quickness on the ice as well. And Laviolette has brought that up, that he's been impressed with his skating. He's been impressed with his physicality. There's a lot of elements about his game that the Rangers like and want to infuse this lineup with. They want guys that are going to play with an edge. You know that Cooley is going to do that. He has not been shy about the physical side of the game at any point in his junior career or last year in the AHL or when he came up to the NHL for that four-game stint last year. And we saw him get into a fight in like his second or third game. So you know he's going to bring that. But on top of that, having the scoring element to his game, having the element where he's going to be a guy offensively that gets inside, gets into the paint, looks for those rebounds and those tips and does the dirty work around there that there are other guys in this roster that seem much less willing to do. And he's improving as a defensive player. I don't think you're going to see him as one of their first PK guys used, but he did get some PK looks in the preseason. So I think he's trending in that direction. So all in all, it adds up to a guy who looks like he's ready for this opportunity. Again, a year older than Othman, a year of AHL experience under his belt, physically very mature. And so all of that adds up to a guy who who is playing well and very much earned this opportunity. I wrote after Thursday's preseason finale that it was getting harder and harder to send Cooley down. I still thought at that time that they would do it simply because they could call him up at any time. Waivers weren't a concern with him and it would have allowed them to protect other guys, but it worked out because they sent Johnny Brodzinski down, which was a little bit of a risk, but he cleared waivers and now he's in Hartford. He remains, I think, their primary depth. If there is any kind of an injury, I think Brodzinski would probably be the first call up, but the Rangers simply decided that they could not send Cooley down that if it was based on merit, that he had earned his way onto this roster. And so they made that decision. Rather than waiting a few weeks or a month, which is kind of what I thought they might do, they decided to just hit the ground running with him right now and send the message that if you earn it, we're going to give you the opportunity. And that is what's happening here. I asked Peter Laviolette the other day about Cooley's role, and he made it very clear that he's here to play. He's not here to be the 13th forward. He's not going to be a healthy scratch. We've talked about that before, and it doesn't make any sense to use a young prospect like him in that sort of a role. You want him playing. That's why Brennan Offman is in Hartford, because 
it's going to be much better for his development to play top line minutes and get all kinds of responsibility there versus watching the games from the press box while they're sitting next to me and I'm eating my, you know, candy or whatever I'm eating up at, <laughs> up there. So this was the logical choice. Once they decided that he was going to be on the roster, he will be in the opening night lineup. And that means that someone else has to come out. And signs right now, we'll see if maybe I can confirm this at Wednesday's practice, in which case I will mention it later on in the show. But everything that I've seen at the last few practices indicates that Jimmy VC is going to be the healthy scratch on opening night. This is a really difficult call. It's another one of those reasons why I thought that maybe Cooley would start the season in the minors, because VC is coming off a really, really solid year for the Rangers. He deserves to be in this lineup. You can look at a lot of the analytics because I know a lot of people are bringing that up when it comes to this decision. And he rates out as one of the Rangers' best forwards, especially when you look at the defensive metrics last season. And this guy, to me, when you watch him play, he doesn't make a lot of the highlight reel type of plays, although he's got some scoring in the tank. He's got more skill than a lot of your typical fourth liners. I certainly think he has more skill than guys like Tyler Pitlick or Barclay Goudreau. So he can put some points on the board. You know, getting 20, 25, 30 points out of this guy wouldn't be a shock if he plays the full season. But what really stands out to me is how smart he is. He always makes the right reads, especially defensively. His, I talked to him about this before. You watch his line changes. To me, it's a very underrated part of the game and something that gets lost a lot of the time, but he always makes really smart decisions about when he's coming off the ice. He never leaves the defenseman or his goalie hanging out to dry in those situations. He's just a really heads up player. And I think he was really valuable for the Rangers last year. Also a very good penalty killer, arguably one of their best penalty killers last year. So leaving him out of the lineup, I'm not so sure that that's the right decision, but the question is what would be the right decision? Tyler Pitlick was the other guy who I thought might be at risk here, but he's had a really good camp. You talk about size and skating and playing with some aggression. He does all of that. So the Rangers want to infuse their lineup with more of that, especially to shift toward this hardworking style that LaViolette wants them to play. And I think Pitlick checks a lot of those boxes. So I think that's the reason why LaViolette really wants him in there. He's also a guy that can kill penalties. It looks like he'll be doing that right off the bat. For the Rangers. So he looks like he's going to be in the lineup. Nick Benino, I've had some people reach out to me and wonder why he's not an option to come out of the lineup. The Rangers signed him to be their fourth line center, and he is a Peter Laviolette favorite, no doubt about it. Of all the guys in this team, he's spent more time playing for this coach than any other. And I think there's value in that as far as knowledge of the system and being able to help other guys understand situations, how Laviolette wants them to play. So Benino, I don't think by any stretch, is at risk of coming out of this lineup right now. And then you could talk about Barclay Gaudreau, who's really, I think, the only other option here. But he's certainly not coming out with that contract that he has. You're not going to pay a guy $3.6 million a season to sit in the press box. Gaudreau is going to be a really interesting guy to watch in the coming years because I do believe that his versatility, especially being able to play all three forward spots, is very valuable. And I do believe that when it comes to those gritty elements that LaViolette wants in this lineup, that he's going to be one of the guys who's counted on to do that. But I wrote about this the other day. You look at his analytics. 
it does not portray him as the defensive whiz that maybe he's made out to be or his reputation would tell you that he is. He races one of the Rangers' worst forwards in a lot of these categories, and you want to see some improvement there to really feel like he has put a stamp on his spot in this lineup. He, I think of the four guys that we talked about, is the last one that LaViolette would take out at this point. But all these guys, if everybody stays healthy, and that's obviously a huge if, but all these guys are sort of going to be competing to see who deserves to stay in that top 12 because it's a situation right now where you've got 13 guys and there's not really an obvious choice for who the odd man out should be. I will say, not, you know, knock on wood, you're not wishing for any injuries, but these things do also have a way of resolving themselves over time. So we'll see how it all plays out. Meanwhile, it looks like the rest of the lineup is set. I've been saying for months that I think Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, and Capo Caco is the way to go for the top line. I don't know how many times I've written that in the last probably year. And now it seems that Peter Laviolette has reached the same conclusion. He looked at a variety of different combinations throughout the preseason. We saw Panarin get some turns playing with Zibanejad on that top line. We saw Alexi Lafreniere get some opportunities, extended opportunities to play on that top line with Mika Zibanejad. But ultimately what he fell back to at the end of the preseason was what I believe was the Rangers' best line last year. They didn't necessarily produce the most goals, but they didn't allow very many. They scored more than they allowed. And the underlying numbers are really, really good as far as shot share, as far as possession, as far as expected goal rate. This trio, I believe, just from watching, generated a lot of quality offensive zone time and really seemed to mesh well together. I think Kako brings a lot of elements, especially his passing ability, his ability to maneuver with the puck through traffic, his strength on the puck. That's been a big theme that LaViolette has mentioned a few times this preseason. And I just wrote a, a long feature on Capo Caco that I would encourage you guys to check out. It's up on loha.com slash sports slash Rangers, which is all about his growth. I mean, I sat in his locker with him the other day and we were reminiscing a bit about his rookie season. And anybody who watched that rookie season could tell that this guy was overwhelmed. He shied away from contact. He was easily pushed off the puck. He looked completely lost defensively. And now the progress that we've seen him make, even though the stats, the points aren't eye-popping, they don't jump off the page at you right now. 40 points last year was a solid season, by far the best of his career. But you felt like there was more there. You felt like if you watched him play, that there were opportunities for him to finish with even more than that. And I believe that this season, especially if he's able to stay on that top line with Kreider and Zibanejad, I believe that he is one of the prime breakout candidates on this roster. The way that he's filled out his body, the way that he's matured as far as what he eats, how he prepares, his skating, I think, gets better every single year. And you see that confidence on the ice. And he told me many times that the most confident he's ever felt in his career, the best he's ever felt on the ice in his career is when he was playing with Kreider and Zibanejad. That type of responsibility gives a young player like that a, a real tangible lift. And I think it's the right way to go. And again, it looks like LaViolette is feeling the same way. They look good together in that preseason finale against Boston. Kako scored a really pretty goal in that game off of a nice feed from Kreider. Kako ripped a wrister from the slot 
perfectly placed in the top right-hand corner of the net. So you want to see more of that with him. You want to see him be aggressive with that shot. Mika Zibanejad told me they're encouraging him to be aggressive with that shot. And it looks like that will be the Rangers' top line to start the season. The second line is going to be really interesting because that looks like it's going to be Artemi Panarin with Philip Hedl, which you guys know we've all been talking about wanting to see those guys get a real extended look together. And LaViolette has said that he feels the same way. So it looks like that is happening. And it looks like Alexi Lafreniere is going to get the chance to play right wing on that line. He has not had a good camp. That point has been beaten to death so far. But let's see what he does with this chance now. I think it's the right move. I think burying him on the third line. And not that the third line is going to be inconsequential for this team. The third line is going to be very important for this team. But... LaViolette is going to want the third line to play that shutdown defensive matchup role. And that is not the best suited spot for Lafreniere, I don't believe. Playing on a, a talented, super skilled line with Panarin and Hedl, you hope that that will maybe unlock his offensive potential because that's why he was drafted number one overall. And I think what you're seeing with the makeup of these lines, that top line can do a bit of everything. But the second line is really going to be geared toward offensive situations. I think Gerard Gallant oftentimes tried to balance his lines and wanted a little bit of everything on each line. Peter Laviolette, I think, is leaning more in the direction of, okay, my second line, when I need a score, when I have an offensive zone situation, I'm sending them over the boards. And then that third line, which looks like it's going to be Cooley, Trocheck, and Wheeler, which, by the way, that might have been the Rangers' best line in that preseason finale against Boston. You got those two big wingers coming down the coming down each end, and then you've got Trocek, who's a shifty, defensive-minded center who also can create some offense and is also the best face-off man on the team. So I like the dynamic of that third line, the way that it's set up right now, and I think you're going to see them thrown out there for some defensive situations, especially big face-off situations because of Trocek's success on the dots. So that is the makeup right now. And then that leaves us with a fourth line that looks like it'll be Goudreau, Benino, and Pitlick. Maybe VC gets worked in there pretty early in the season. But right now, based on what I've seen in practice, it looks like Goudreau, Benino, and Pitlick. And last thing on the D pairs, looks like we're going to roll into the season with what we've seen for the last three seasons. And that would be Fox and Lindgren staying together, Truba and Miller staying together, and then Schneider and Gustafson as the third pair. And Gustafson, you're talking about guys who had a good camp. He was definitely, I think, one of the five guys who stood out to me the most during this camp, too. He looks like a really nice signing for the Rangers. So the decor looks like it should be in pretty solid shape as well. All right. So away we go. Very curious to see the effect that LaViolette has on this group. The players seem enthused about this. The players have been open about feeling more prepared, feeling like they have more direction, feeling like they're better conditioned. As we talked about with Colin last week, they're throwing a little bit of shade at Gerard Gallant, but they also seem to be saying that they feel like this coach is putting them in a better position to succeed. And management is banking on this coach making a substantial difference. They added some nice bargain veterans who I think given their cap situation were good signings, but they didn't add a ton of speed. And we've talked about this. They look to step behind the Devils. And so while they might not necessarily have a bunch more skaters who are 
faster if you time them in, in a sprint or something like that. What they are banking on is that the quicker decision-making, the faster pace that LaViolette is pushing them to play, that that, the systematic changes, are what is going to help the Rangers become a better team and take the next step. No one in the current top six forwards or top four D wasn't on the team last year. The core remains in place and the bulk of the responsibility still falls on them to make it work with this coach. So we're going to see if this coach and this system can give the Rangers the boost that we feel like they need to really become a cup contender. We know they're a playoff team, but they were outmatched, especially in those last five games against the Devils last year. And to close that gap, those things are going to have to make a difference. The players on the roster are going to have to embrace and succeed with this coach and with this system that he's putting in place. The last thing I'll say on that is that just a fair warning that I do believe that some patience will be required in that regard. It would not surprise me at all, especially given some of the struggles that we saw in the preseason, if the Rangers take some time to adapt and adjust and learn and feel comfortable in this system. Because the system is more nuanced than what they're used to playing. Different situations are going to call for different strategies. And I think everybody feeling like they know exactly what to do in every different spot that could occur throughout the course of a game is going to take a little time. So there might be some rough patches early in the season. Maybe maybe they hit the ground running. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong on this, but my, my warning, what's kind of been on my mind in the last week or two is that it wouldn't surprise me if things don't start going absolutely full bore 100 miles an hour. Might be some hiccups early in the season, but what the hope has to be is that they work those out in the first month or two or three, whatever it takes, and that by the time you get to the second half of the season, you're rolling, you have the identity established that LaViolette has been preaching throughout this camp, and that by the time you get to the playoffs, everybody is on the same page and you're playing your best hockey. We'll see how it plays out. we got 82 of these games to go, but I'm pumped up. I'm really, really excited for this season. I know you guys are too. And so to talk a little bit more about what to expect and to let you guys hear someone else talk about it for a little bit, let's get to our interview with Joe Micheletti. Now let's welcome into the show a familiar guest. I believe this is the third or fourth season we've had him on in the preseason to preview the upcoming season. And that would be one of our favorite broadcasters from the MSG Network. We love them all, but Joe, you are one of our favorites. That would be Joe Micheletti. So welcome to the show, Joe. How are you? Yeah, doing great, Vince. Always uh, great to be with you. And I think the previous three years... I think everything I've said has been absolutely 100% correct, if I remember right, right? Well, yeah, that's why we ask you back. We we, tra- <laughs> we track all of your predictions, right. and then based on that, we, we move forward with you as long as you got most of them right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I should mention right here off the top, Joe, obviously part of that MSG Network crew that you all know so well, their coverage of opening night Thursday in Buffalo. I know Joe will be there. Their pregame show is going to begin at 6.30. That's featuring Henrik Lundqvist. Steve Valaket and John Giannone. And then, of course, everyone's favorite duo of Joe and Sam Rosen will be on the broadcast for the game. And I should also mention, because I know there's some of you out there that don't have cable, and you can now get the MSG Plus app 
where you can download that for access to all the games that MSG has. So that's another outlet for you guys that don't have cable if you're looking to watch the game. So I want to mention all that right off the top because anyone who's listening to this show, I'm sure, is going to be interesting in watching the game and hearing Joe on the broadcast. Joe, how many seasons is this for you now? Uh, this will be 18th, uh, 18th 18. season with, uh, with working with Sam. So it just, it's, it's flown by, but it's been, you know, it's been a highlight in my career for sure to, uh, to be able to work with Sam and, and, uh, and our great crew. And you mentioned the pregame show. I, I don't think there's anybody in the country that's better than our guys on our, on our pregame show and postgame shows are just, they're fabulous at what they do. And, and, uh, and especially in a time, Vince, and, and you know, this, there's, there's so much that's gone on in our industry, you know, your industry, my industry, uh, companies going bankrupt, cable going one way. And, and so, you know, so our, 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 our company's really worked hard to try and figure out a way to, to give everybody access. And, and, uh, and so they were the first to come up with this kind of an idea, the MSG plus app to give people, you know, you can look at one game. If you like it, get another game. If you want the month, you can watch all the games and everything on MSG. So, um, so I think it's really been a, you know, a, a good alternative uh, for people that have been, you know, either been longtime fans or, or just want to check things out, check out the Rangers uh, to see how they're going to uh, how they're going to do. So uh, everybody's excited about it. It should be. Yeah, it, it is a tough time in the industry, but we love Valley. Valley's been on the show several times. He He's outstanding at, at, at his job as an analyst, and I know he's connected to the games a, a lot of other ways right now as well. And it's a real special treat for fans when they get to see Hank on there because he's just he's just a natural at it. It's it's kind of like unfair how, how good he is at it right right away. Well, for someone that 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 doesn't look good on camera, <laughs> yeah, to yeah. do what he's done, I think is uh, exemplary. You know, and, and I I go back to when to when Henrik started uh, because I, and I even think back to the times when when you when you when you try something new and especially you're on camera and you're facing a lot of people. You know, the job that uh, I, I give so much credit to John Giannone and to and to Steve Ellicott. Because they they welcomed Henrik as you know as part of their family and brought him along and made it easy for him, especially in the early part of his of his career, to to get comfortable. They gave him the time to get comfortable. Uh, he wasn't forced to do a lot on his own and to have to be creative. But he's gotten that way as he's uh, as as he's grown as a broadcaster, and now he's. He's fantastic at what he does, but but Steve and John were were just terrific in in welcoming him because, as you well know, we're in a business where there's a lot of egos, and sometimes people don't want to let other people in because they're holding on to the microphone too too hard, mm-hmm. and instead of being opening and welcoming welcoming them with a with an open microphone to to allow them to grow, and those two uh, were fantastic in allowing that. So I, I give kudos to them for sure. Yeah, they're all pros, and it's a really good crew. I don't get to watch it all most of the time because I'm usually at the games, but right. I record it a lot and do catch it, and, and and it's always fun with those guys. So we definitely enjoy that. And now let's shift and, and try to talk some Rangers here, Joe, because the, the new season's almost here. We're a couple days away from that opener in Buffalo on Thursday, and we've got a new coach here who we've been able to yep. watch pretty closely at this training camp. So I want to start there. Just your early impressions of Peter Laviolette. And I'm curious, did, did you know him? Were you familiar? I'm sure you were familiar with him, but had you known him much before he got here or are you just getting to know him now? 
So I, I've known Peter since the, since the day he came into the league because at the time I was uh, I was I'll say this quite I was working Islanders games. Um, <laughs> but, I, but but when Peter and I had a great eight years on Long Island, so I don't want to discount that. Uh, but I, I was working. Howie Rose and I were uh, were broadcasting the the New York Islander games when when Peter uh, got his first job. Mike Milbury, who was the GM at the time, hired Peter. And he got his first uh, head coaching job in the National Hockey League for the Islanders. And I just happened to be working there at the time. So, uh, so I remember those days. Uh, I've, uh, I've had a good relationship with Peter since, since he came into the league. And, uh, and I've seen him grow as a coach and have to adjust and change and deal with the changes in the game and the changes in the personalities of the game. So I've known him for a long time. Uh, and as you've probably seen, he's a very personable uh, uh, individual and, and coach, and and, um, uh, and and you know. So what I've seen uh, is nothing uh, uh, nothing really different than what I've known about him before. I've always known that he's he's been a, a coach that uh, really tries tries to stay close to the players and keeps a good understanding of how they're feeling and what they're doing. And uh, and he's obviously had you know great success in the in the league. So uh, so Peter, what what I've seen out of him thus far uh, doesn't change my mind at all, or doesn't make me think, well, this guy's really different than what he what he used to be. All I know is that he's he's been a smart enough individual to have to make changes along the way to become a better coach and to coach players of different generations. And so um, and with this team, you know, he he has some real staunch ideas about how how to win and uh and so some of his systems are taking some time for these players to catch on to but that's that's not uh you know that that's that that certainly um is not unusual for that to happen yeah you know the one of the things that's really stood out to me early on at these practices is in a lot of ways i think they've been harder they've definitely been longer more more intensity there seems to be less downtime in between drills and, and the pace has been really high for a lot of these practices, you know, and a couple of the players just talking to them, like Vincent Trocek said, they feel more prepared this year. Jacob Truba talked about the direction that they're getting now from LaViolette. So how do you see this group responding? Because he is a guy who I think is going to be pretty demanding with them. And I'm curious if you think that this group needed that. Well, it's interesting because, you know, this 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 core has been through an, a number of different coaches uh, yeah. so far. And I and I think and I, and I do believe and feel that all these coaches have been good coaches. Uh, there, there weren't many that were here when when Elaine Vigneault took over as a head coach. But I remember I remember the terrible start the team uh, got off to because he had new ideas and fresh ideas. I think Chris Kreider might have been. Might have been the only player here when, when Elaine Vigneault was here. Um, uh, but then, you know, and, and David Quinn came in with a really young team. And, and, and I admired David tremendously. He's a very good coach and highly detailed. And you remember those practices, very detailed in teaching the nuances of the game and would blow the whistle an awful lot. Then they went from David to, uh, to, um, to Turk and and uh, Gerard Gallant um, was a different style coach. Was more of a sit back. You guys control the locker room. You guys force each other to play well and do things. And of course, then he gets criticized last year 
after having a very good year the year before. But that's the nature. That's the nature of the sport. So I think now it's it's up to the players to take everything that they've learned, and they've learned a lot from these different coaches. And if if that's what they thought was was the problem last year that they weren't prepared enough, then there certainly shouldn't be any issues with the play with the coach that they have in place now. So I just think that that it, I just think that when you when you look at you look at the Rangers two years ago and they were so close to getting in the Stanley Cup final, you know, after leading two games to none against Tampa Bay, and then they found out how champions play in the playoffs. And that's what Tampa did showed them that this is how you win and you get your, you know, they got all the big stars to go back to, to doing whatever they have to do to win and not think about individual stats. And that's what championships teams do. And I think the Rangers learned a lot from that to, uh, to going back to what happened last season after going up two games to none on the road and then just not playing well for the next five games. It was about as simple as that. And so between those two, I think there's a certainly a learning period uh, for this group, and they're not that young anymore. And so, you know, I, I like this team. I, I think it's a really good team, and you can start with the goaltender, but, you know, you're, now you're going to have to rely on what some of these top players, and you've, you've heard it, Vince, right, throughout, throughout training camp and right from day one, how, how what happened last year in the playoffs is still a bad taste in their mouth. And a lot of times, you know, that'll be forgotten after you, you, you lose and then you, you think about it for a while and you go on and then you get on to the next year. This doesn't seem to have been forgotten. And I think that's a good thing for this group because your core players that you have to rely on are now, most of them are late 20s or in their 30s. And there's not many years left for them to, to try and win a championship. So, um, you know, so I, 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 I like that, that it stayed with them because it was such a, a, a tough way to, to lose out in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting because you touch on this. We talk about these different coaches and they, they've had just three coaches in the last four years. I was sitting with Capo Caco talking yesterday. He's entering his fourth season. This is his third coach already. So these right. guys have, They've cycled through some coaches, and, and right. now I think a lot of it, it really does fall on the players because they've had these different coaches with these different styles, and ultimately it's going to be up to them to execute and, and to make it happen if they're really going to get to the point where they want to be. LaViolette has talked a lot about, I think one of his main themes in this camp has been becoming a harder working team, You know, more grit, aggression, playing with an edge, whatever you want to call it. That is something that he's harped on. Chris Jury has harped on. They want them to play more of that intense, in-your-face playoff style that we've seen these teams with a heavy four-checking system that have done really well in the in the postseason. Is that just a matter in your eyes of the players committing more to that type of a game? Or do you think that you need a certain type of personnel to, to pull off that style? I think you need I think you need both. I mean, let's let's face it. Um you know, Artemi Panarin is is not going to play like Barkley Goodrow. He's just not. Now, can he work as hard as Barkley Goodrow? Can he uh, can can he be a player that uh, that under um, under what Peter Laviolette's uh, definition of hard work, 
great working habits, learn those in practice, take it to the game, you know, do that all year as you get ready to play that way in the playoffs. Can they, can they do it that way? Yeah, but it's just the, the vision is different. Okay. What you, what you see uh, again, depending on the type of player they are, um, is going to be, it's, it's going to be a different, a different way of, of judging and, and grading their, their work ethic. Um, so again, Artemi Panarin is not, you're not going to see him getting in somebody's face like Barkley Goodrow or some of the other players that they have, or Jacob Truba, you know, these are different. So work ethic comes in different packages. I mean, it all falls under the same category, but it's just, can, so can a goal scorer, you know, can he work a little harder to get to it, to, to get to the front of the net, which is something the Rangers didn't do in the first round of the playoffs last year in those last five games. They didn't get there. Can they put in the effort to go to the tougher areas, especially in the playoffs, to score goals, to create chances, to get deflections? Uh, that would be um, somewhat equal to what maybe some of the third and fourth line players do that your top line players won't do. Okay. So, and sometimes it's, you know, uh, it's dropping the gloves and getting in a fight and do what you have to do, coming up with big hits. Not everybody's going to do that. So it's, it's the way you define what their work ethic is and, um, and, and how you measure their heart. I mean, one of the, one of the players in the, you know, in the history of the game, or at least in the last 40 years or so, uh, who's in the Hall of Fame was a was a player named Joe Mullen, who grew up in Hell's Kitchen and grew up on on roller skates. Joe Mullen was five foot nine, about 170 pounds, and scored over 500 goals in the National Hockey League, and was always on the ice at the end of a period, at the end of a game, and never. I don't know if he ever got in a fight. I don't think he did, but he was regarded as a player that had so much heart, didn't hit many people, but, but the definition was when he got knocked down, he got back up, got knocked down, got back up, went to the net, scored goals, got crunched, got back up, did the same thing, same thing, same thing. And this is a player that when you look at him, you go, no size, doesn't fight anybody, doesn't run anybody over, but one of the greatest players in the history of the game is in the hall of fame. Why? because of his work ethic to do the things that made him great. And I think that's what, that's what Peter Laviolette is looking for. Do the things that make you great. And I think that this team has a tremendous amount of talent. And so that's all, that's all he's looking for. He's not looking for everybody to get in a fight or to, you know, run somebody over, but to play, you know, to, to play hard and do the things that'll make you a better player. Was that one of your biggest takeaways from the first round loss to the Devils is that, that that work ethic across the board needs to be raised? Were there any other lessons or concerns that you have coming out of that series? I mean, to me, especially as that series went on, it felt like the Devils were just a step faster 
in, in all these different areas. Now, we can talk about whether that's a work ethic thing. We can talk about whether that's a skating thing. We can talk about whether that's a system thing. Do the Devils just play a crisper fashion of hockey? And that's kind of what Laviolette seems to want them to do now. More fast-paced, you know, quicker decisions, that, that sort of thing. Like, when you evaluate that series and where the Rangers need to be better to have more playoff success, what, what comes to mind for you? Well, I, I think I think a couple of things. And first of all, uh, just getting to the playoffs is really a hard thing to do these days. I mean, just uh, the, the grind, you know, back in earlier years, I never like to sit here and go back oh, when I played. Now, nobody wants to hear that. But when there were 21 teams in the league and 16 were making the playoffs, you know, it wasn't that difficult to make the playoffs. Now there's still 16 teams that make the playoffs. That's never changed, but there's 32 teams. So, you know, another 11 teams they've added to the mix, changed it into a cap system game, which allows even more teams uh, some equality, uh, and especially the smaller market teams. And so, um, so sometimes we just analyze our own team as opposed to giving the other teams some credit for being pretty darn good. And what the Devils did last year was not a fluke, and they proved it all season. They won the division. So they proved it all season that they were a good team. And, with the, you know, the adjustments they ended up making in the playoffs, and I think the biggest thing was, and, you know, you, you always hear this. We hear it all the time about confidence, right? How many times has Peter Laviolette talked about it in this preseason, about even winning some preseason games just to get your team confident more and it makes it a little bit easier and so that devil's team when they made the goaltending change and found a way to win game three with with the with the rookie akiri schmidt that changed their mindset and it also changed i think the mindset of the rangers so there was a flip there was a flip in confidence and when you get that you just start doing things better and when you lose it you start doing things worse and you start overthinking instead of playing. So I think that was a, a big part of what of what happened in that series. And and let's you know let's uh, there's no question that the Rangers did not get to the net enough. They didn't get there. Schmidt played well, give him credit. But there were there were a number of those games where he really didn't have to make that many difficult saves. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of that's part of the adjustment. And and it's a mindset that the Rangers have had for the last number of years. They're, they've been a passing team. They're an unselfish group. They like to pass, and so many times they like to overpass. And when you start getting to the point where you start making high-risk passes, especially in a playoff environment where teams are thinking defense, get back, defend, it's really hard to make those types of passes. And I'll never, I'll never forget this, and I might have mentioned this uh, with you before in years past, um, having a, a conversation with Nick Lidstrom, the, the great Hall of Fame defenseman for Detroit, who won, I think, six or seven Norris trophies as the league's best defenseman. But, and they had, you know, they were so loaded with talent with Eiserman and Hall and Shanahan, you go all the way up and down. And, and, and I remember having a conversation with him during the playoffs. And I asked him a simple question about why is your power play so good? And he just kind of looked and smirked and he said, it's simple. He said, they pass it to me. I shoot the puck. And, uh, and then 
generally they, they know that the goalie most of the time is going to make the first save, but the whole mentality was you get the penalty killers to have to turn and make decisions. Do I get the puck? Do I have to take the man? Here's the rebound. And now chaos starts. And when you have talent up front and they're willing to go to the net, then that kind of chaos, talent takes over and they make the plays and, and they score big goals. And, he, and, he, and, he, and it was so simplistic, you know, the way he put it, that uh, one pass, one shot, if the shot's there, take it. Forwards know, they go to the net, and now there's chaos. And when you have a lot of talent and players that can make plays, and Datsuk, and you go down the lineup, right, for Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's when special things happen. And I think from a Rangers standpoint, with the power play, so loaded, you know, with talent, but that has been the one aspect, I think, where they're where they've overpassed. And I think Peter is going to change. We've already seen some of that. Mm-hmm. And with Phil Housley, one of their new one of their new coaches, a Hall of Fame defenseman, who is fantastic offensively. You know, he's got the Rangers defenseman doing a lot of different types of drills. And you've seen this, Vince. You know, the passing, quick fake, take one step to get away from, you know, to change your 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 shooting lane and get the shot through. Just get it through. Mm-hmm. And get it through to the net so that you've got a chance at a deflection and you've got a chance at a rebound. And I, I think, you know, when you think of, of uh, and I, I, know, I know I'm expounding here, uh, but it, it made me think so much of last season after Chris Kreider came off his, his record uh, goal scoring of two years ago. Like to me, you know, their power play, which was almost the same thing. Now Trocek was on and, 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 uh, and Strom was gone. But, you know, they didn't get Chris Kreider enough pucks to touch. Mm-hmm. And I just you, you just got to give him a chance to touch the puck because he's so good at deflecting it. And I think, you know, most of the first half of the year, uh, for a player that led the league in power play goals, he wasn't getting enough touches. And that's just because they didn't get it to him. And so, I mean, I think that mentality has to, has to, has to come back. It did feel like – Sorry, that, was such, a, sorry, that no. was such a long answer, but I – no, no, it's interesting stuff. And I, I, you, you make me think too, that when, when you think back on the power play last year, when they had those dry spells, it felt like everything was trying to go to Mika for that one time or other teams knew it was coming and it just felt a little too predictable. It kind of got stale as good as Mika is at that one time, or when the other team knows it's coming, it, it's, a, it's less effective, obviously. So it felt like that was the case there. Joe, the, the, the last thing I'll, I'll ask you about before I let you go, just, you and I are among the few who get to watch these practices and be at camp. And obviously we've seen the preseason games. I know you covered pretty much all of them. Anything standing out to you from an individual standpoint, player or two players or whatever that you feel like are on the cusp of maybe doing something special or a guy who had a better camp than you expected or anything that's emerged as a concern in your mind from watching this camp? Um, I, I would say, I would say this. I think if Philip Heedle can stay healthy he is going to have a breakout season. His attitude, his work ethic, his confidence. And, you know, and we've discussed this. He became, you know, he became a, a real player in this league in the playoffs two seasons ago because he learned what it took to have to fight back and, and not take it, you know, uh, all the abuse that he, that he took. And that gave him a confidence of, of how he needed to play. And I, I just think that he's destined for starter 
if he can stay healthy. And he was off to an excellent start this season. Had a long talk with him about, you know, what he did in the offseason, his preparation, and, and you know, it, it was the same. He's got a team that he works with back home in the Czech Republic. Uh, and and he, went, he went back to work. And, you know, so I, I think if there's a player, again, and he hoped that he can stay healthy, I think he's, he's destined for stardom. I think, it, I think it's Filipino. Uh, Cooley was a standout to me as well. Uh, unique player because you don't see these types of players very often. And we don't know, you know, we've seen this before. Players can score at other levels, but when they get to the NHL, can they bring it to that level? So he's got the possibility of being a real unique player in this league because he can skate and he's 6'3", 215, and he can sh- really shoot the puck. And, uh, and they've used him on the power play. He's killed penalties down at Hartford. You know, so he's, so he's got this, he's got this ability to, to, to perform in a lot of different ways for a team and now can he bring it to this level? And so it, it, it's, I, I've really liked him. I've liked what I've seen, like his attitude. And so I think he's, he's going to be a real intriguing player uh, to keep an eye on, especially he says, I want to be like Tom Wilson. You know, Tom Wilson's a unique player. You know, most fans don't like him, except if you're a Washington fan, but he's got something that every team wants. And so, uh, so with, with Cooley, if he says, that's how I want to be, and that's how I want to play. If he can stay away from suspensions and be that kind of player as he grows and gets gets confidence, I, I think he'll really be something. Keandre Miller, I think, is ready for another step. Uh, he, he loves this system that he's playing under Peter Laviolette because when, when Keandre Miller switched from being a forward to being a defenseman when he was about 16 years old, he was taught – to defend skating forwards and for a defenseman to be taught to defend skating forwards is totally blows your mind because you know I couldn't play defense I got switched from forward to defense by Herb Brooks my freshman year in college I was a forward up to that point and he didn't let me play a game until halfway through the season because I I wasn't a good enough backward skater which you had to be in order to you know to defend and so for Keandre Miller, you know, he's the left defenseman. And if fans want to watch his system that, that Peter Laviolette has put in, the left defenseman, as they're coming, as, as you're defending, as the other team's coming out of their zone, he's going to be the aggressive one to step up and go forward to force the play. And for Keandre Miller, that's, that's the way he learned to play. So he, so he loves that new system and the fact that, you know, Peter wants them to jump into the play offensively when they get a chance. And, you know, he's such a marvelous athlete and 43 points a season ago for someone that's, that uh, wasn't really, you know, relied on to score a lot of points. I just, I just think he's, he's due for stardom also. Yeah. Those are three really good names. I think, I mean, Cooley obviously has been a big story. This camp stand out force his way onto this roster when there were a lot of veterans ahead of him that he had to jump in front of. So obviously an awesome camp for him, but 
Heedle and Miller are such X factors for me for this team. Heedle, you touched on the health. I mean, if he can stay on the ice, and that's been an if for him, and we saw him get a little banged up during this preseason, it does look like he's going to be ready for opening night. But he just looks like such a confident player when he's on the ice, such a dynamic player. And if he gets the chance to play with Panarin, which is where it looks like LaViolette is leaning right now, that could be a huge opportunity for him. And Miller, to me, he he's going to continue to ascend as one of the better defensemen in the league. So, Joe, I think those are great names, great way for us to go out. I really do appreciate the time. Again, everybody catch Joe on MSG Network for the opener on Thursday night and throughout the season. And make sure to check out the MSG Plus app if you don't have cable and are looking for a way to access the game. So, Joe, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Next time I want to get some Herb Brooks stories. I always forget you played for him. Yeah. But that, would, that would be some fun. There's a lot of them. And now we didn't it, even talk about Shesterkin either. It might just be the best goalie in the league. So anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Joe. Well, thank you so much. I'll see you at the rink. Okay. Thanks, Vince. Good to be with you. Okay. Thank you to Joe once again for coming on the show. We're going to try to keep that as an annual tradition. Love talking to Joe. I've told you guys before, one of the most welcoming guys you could imagine when I first came onto the beat, which believe it or not now, this is my fifth season doing this, which is kind of crazy. So Joe and I have formed a pretty cool bond over the last few years. Definitely a guy who I've gotten to know better. And behind the scenes, you learn that there's a lot of humility there. There's a good family man there. There's definitely a little bit of a prankster and a jokester there, which you can hear in some of those interviews, but it all makes for a good dynamic and a lot of fun during the many days that we spend together around the rink. So thanks again to Joe and the whole MSG crew, which you guys I know will be watching closely throughout the course of this season. Now let's get into the final segment. And I will briefly tell you guys, I just got back from practice. I mentioned in the first segment that I was recording in the morning before practice. Now I'm back after Wednesday's practice. And there's really no new news to report. The lineup was exactly what I described in the first segment. It does look like Jimmy Vesey is going to be the scratch among the forward group. They actually had him skating with Zach Jones as sort of the fourth defensive pair at practice. So you know if you're a forward who's on the fourth defensive pair for practice, that probably doesn't bode very well for your chances of being in the lineup. So we'll see how that shakes out. Not sure if that's how Laviolette envisions it staying for a while or if maybe he'll get VC in there pretty quickly, second or third game, something like that. I'm sure a lot of that will depend on how the Rangers perform. If they win, I'm sure he's going to keep the lineup the same. Most coaches tend to do that. If they don't, then maybe VC gets a chance to get in there pretty quickly. Other than that, I mostly spent some time chatting with veterans today at practice. Spent some time with Jacob Truba. Spent some time with Mika Zabanaje. I just wanted to get the pulse of the team going into this opener and really dive in a little deeper on the effect that they think Peter Laviolette is having on this group and how they think the new system could help them this season. So that is going to be what my column is all about on Thursday once I get into Buffalo. So be sure to look out for that column pregame. Really interesting conversation with those guys, especially Mika had some interesting thoughts on the conversation that as much as these guys, I don't think read a ton and try to stay off social media, they're aware of the narrative 
around the team. And Mika had some interesting things to say about the perception that the Rangers need to get faster, which I think everybody agrees on. But Mika had some interesting things to say as far as that's not just about physically being able to skate fast. Because people, I think that's the first thing that they think of when we have that conversation. I'm probably guilty of that myself at times as well. But Mika was talking about making quicker decisions, advancing pucks more directly, and little things that you can do within LaViolette's system that will make the team appear faster, even if it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is, if you time them in a straight line, skating any faster, if you follow what I'm saying. So that'll be part of that column as well. Definitely be sure to check that one out. All right, let's dive into the questions that you guys submitted this week. And what I found interesting as I was scanning the questions is that there were multiple occasions where two or three people had asked a very similar question. So to get as many of your names in here as possible, I grouped some of them together. Actually, all three questions kind of got doubled down on. So I'll let you know where they came from. And we'll start with this first one, which was submitted by both Michael Silvers and Johnny Lonnie. I wonder if his real last name is Lonnie, but we'll take the rhyme. They wrote, and I think this is what Johnny wrote. Oh, no, this is what Michael wrote. How long of a leash do you think Lafreniere will get at the second line right wing spot? Can he remain there if he's not scoring but doing other things well to help the line? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. Well, this was part of the conversation after practice, as it has been many days recently. Lafreniere has definitely been the most scrutinized player at this training camp. And LaViolette made a point of saying on Wednesday that he thinks Lafreniere's last couple practices, specifically Tuesday and Wednesday, have been his best practices of the camp. So that tells you that the coach is, I think, probably trying to build up this guy's confidence a little bit because I think that has been an issue during this preseason. But you hope that He's being truthful, and you hope that that means something on the ice as well, that this is a guy who is maybe starting to get a little more comfortable, maybe starting to let some of that pressure off of his shoulders and play a little more freely because it did look like he was playing tight and tentative at a lot of times throughout the preseason. So he looks like he is set to start in that second line right wing spot, as I touched on in the first segment. That's where he practiced the last two days. So all indications are that that's where he will play. I mentioned that I think LaViolette is really going to look at that line with Panarin, Hedl, and Lafreniere as an offense first line. They're going to be put out there in scoring situations, in situations where he wants them to attack. I don't think you're going to see that line taking a lot of defensive zone draws or playing in situations where they're going to end up spending a lot of time in their own end because that is clearly not the strength of that line. But the hope is that they're going to generate some offense. And Lafreniere is going to have to play a role in that for sure. But I also think when you look at the makeup of that line, when it comes to somebody who's going to get to the net, who's going to dig pucks out of corner, who's going to be the lead four checker in a lot of these situations, who is going to be the guy that does some of the dirty work. Now, you don't want Lafreniere to completely get away from the skill side of his game and all of a sudden just be a guy who's banging bodies and doing all the grunt work. But out of those three, he's probably the most capable 
of that. So I do think that there's going to have to be an element from him of defending really hard, forechecking really well, winning those 50-50 puck battles, getting to the front of the net, screening, tipping, all those kind of things. So that, I think, is an important part of this. The other thing I would say to your question here, Michael, about how much time will he get, how long will his leash be, because that's what Johnny asked as well, I think that to give him the best opportunity to succeed, having a quick hook is not going to be helpful. You need to give him a substantial amount of games in that spot before you end the experiment. That's probably easier said than done. If the Rangers are really struggling and Laviolette feels like they need to shake things up, I absolutely anticipate that he would change lines within the course of a game. And that might be the right strategy in the moment. But I think then for the next game, at least for these first, let's say, 10, 12, 15 games, I think going back to that and letting them learn from mistakes and letting them build some chemistry before you start separating them, I think that would go a long way with the players in the locker room. Because I've told you guys before, I think that how frequently things got separated last year was a source of frustration. So I think LaViolette, maybe reading the pulse of the room, might give them a little more time than what we've seen in the recent past. But I also think just for the growth of a young player like Lafreniere, if he doesn't feel like he has to look over his shoulder every time something doesn't go their way or every time he makes a a mistake, that will make him play, I think, more freely. And that will probably allow him to open things up and take more chances and get a little more aggressive and and do some of the things that you hope that you can see him do and that you feel like he needs to do in order to unlock his potential. So I think there has to be a decent leash here. Now, I might be wrong. That's just my own opinion. We have not seen enough of LaViolette yet, at least here in New York, to really know how he's going to handle these things. Is he still not very sure about these lines and might be quick to change them early in the season after another game, two games, three games, whatever it might be. That could very well be the case, but he's experimented a lot this training camp. And I think the benefit of that was you got to look at a lot of different things before you formulated what will be your opening night lineup. But now that you've weighed your options and put these lines together, I think they should give them an opportunity. Obviously there can come a point where it's not working and you have to make a change. I'm not saying that you give them an endless leash, but I am saying that it would be, I think, the best thing for the players and in a lot of ways the best thing for the Rangers if you at least give them a reasonable sample size before you start thinking about making changes. And especially in Lafreniere's case, because I'm not really sure what the alternative is other than shifting him back to left wing, which is probably what they would do if this experiment here doesn't work out. But the the problem then is, what do you do at right wing? This is part of the preview that I wrote that went up on Wednesday morning. The right wing depth is a little bit of a concern here because the Rangers need, it looks like, one of those right, or I'm sorry, left wingers that they have in the system, there's many of them, to shift to the right side. Lafreniere is getting the first crack at it. I think that makes the most sense in a lot of ways because he's the guy who you want to end up in your top six based on a lot of different factors, including his draft status and also his talent. But if it doesn't work out with him, who's it going to be? Are you going to move Blake Wheeler up to the second line? I don't think that's what the Rangers want to do. I think they really like him 
in that third line spot, I think that can protect him a little bit as far as his minutes goes and allow him to maximize his shift at this stage in his career. But even if you move him up or if you move Lafreniere back to the left, you're still going to need another right winger in your top nine. And I don't know how comfortable the Rangers are doing that with Will Cooley. They experimented with that for a, a practice or two at the end of training camp. But Cooley told me himself when I asked him this a few weeks ago that he's really never played the right wing at any level. He's always been a left winger. So that's kind of a big ask to have Cooley do that, even though I do think there are elements of his game that would work in that kind of a spot on that line. But again, a guy that has pretty much no experience on that side of the ice. Brennan Othman has done it a little bit more, but he's down in the minors right now, not on the roster. Maybe at some point he becomes the fallback option, but I think he needs to prove himself in Hartford first. And then the other options are, are taking a guy who's on your fourth line, like Barclay Gaudreau or Tyler Pitlick, and elevating them to a spot in the lineup where they're probably out of place. So the Rangers kind of need Lafreniere to work in this spot because the other options, as far as filling out the top three spots on that right wing depth chart, aren't really great for the Rangers right now. That's clearly their position where the depth is the most questionable going into the season. All right. Let's get to our next question. This came from Chase, as well as our buddy Ryan Mead, who I think he might be on some other podcast that I'm forgetting the name of. But anyway, let's move on. They asked similar questions here, and I'm going to start with Ryan's, who wrote, what does Kako need to do this season to get consistent power play one time? And then Chase added to that, asking, will the two units get more equal time? So we'll start with Kako because it definitely looks like the top power play unit going into the season is going to be exactly what we saw for most of last season. And that is the four guys who you expect to be there all the time, Fox, Zabanajad, Panarin, and Kreider. And then Trocek has been the fifth guy, which again is a role that he largely played last season. He's in that bumper position with Zabanajad and Panarin on opposite circles. So Trocek, it looks like, is definitely going to get the first crack there. But what I noticed at Tuesday's practice while they were working on power play is that there were a couple shifts where they pulled Trocek out and they put Kako in. So Kako, I think, is clearly the guy who's knocking on the door. He's had a really good camp, as I mentioned to you guys earlier. He's going to start the season on the top line. Laviolette sounds like he's been very impressed with him. So if you do want to get one of those young players on there, it looks like Kako would be first in line. I think he's earned that opportunity. And it also would create balance, which we've talked about so many times, with the right-handed shooters and the left-handed shooters. Because right now, you've got four right-handed shooters on that top unit, and they're all on the perimeter. The one left-handed shot is Kreider at the net front. So if you want to balance things out, we've talked about this so many times over the years, you'd like to get one more lefty shot in there. And I asked Laviolette about that the other day. He said he does think that that is something that he takes into consideration and can be important in certain situations. But he also said that his power play strategy is going to really stress movement and interchangeable parts. And he wants not everyone not being stationary. You don't, you don't want Mika always planted in the left circle. You don't want Kreider always planted at the net front. You don't want Adam Fox always at the point. You want these guys moving around, creating different angles and shooting lanes and 
confusing the defense that way and setting up shooting opportunities in that way. So that's an important thing to this as well. But Kako, if that movement stuff isn't working and you feel like it's getting too predictable in the way that it was last year, like we were just talking about with Joe, where everything seems to be sort of moving in the direction of that Miko one-timer and defenses know it's coming, well, Kako could maybe give you a little bit more of a look. And when they had him in there, he wasn't so much working in the bumper spot where Trocek was. He was coming out wider down around the goal line and sort of controlling the puck down low there and looking for ways to pass out of that spot on the ice. Similar to what we saw Patrick Kane do when he was on that top power play unit for the Rangers last season. So Kaka would give them, I think, a different look, a different formation, and one more left-handed shooter. So I absolutely think that that is in the cards if this unit that we see with Trocek does not get it done through the first handful of games this season. As for the two units getting more equal time, we'll see. I I still think they're going to lean more heavily on the top unit. How can you not, given the star power there? Panarin, Zabanajad, Fox, Kreider, those are your four most effective power play players, and you're going to want them on the ice in those situations as much as possible. So I certainly don't begrudge Gallant previously or Laviolette now if he's going to lean more on that unit. I think he should, but maybe instead of the split being like a minute and 40 seconds and 20 seconds. Maybe Laviolette could even it out a little bit more. Maybe you get a minute and 15 and then 45 seconds for the other unit. That would seem like a better distribution. And that's definitely something to keep an eye on early in the season. All right, let's get to our final question. Got two more names to shout out here. We have Rangers Muse and we have Jeffrey Brauner. Rangers Muse wants to know about when Brennan Othman will be called up. And Jeffrey asked about how many players will make their NHL debuts for the Rangers this season. So Othman, to me, is at the top of that list. Remember, Cooley made his NHL debut last season, so we've already seen him here. This will not technically be his debut on Thursday, although he does still maintain rookie status, so he's eligible for the Calder Trophy if you're into that sort of thing. But Othman has not played any NHL games. And based on how late he hung around in camp and him, I think, being the best prospect as far as upside that's going to start the year with the Hartford squad in the AHL, I think he is the most likely guy to get a call up at some point this season. If he doesn't play well, maybe they give him a full year of AHL grooming. That's not out of the question. But I do think that at some point, especially if he earns it, that's a very important part of this as well, that they will look to give him an opportunity in the NHL. And if he gets a lot of work at right wing and the Rangers have problems in that spot like we talked about earlier in this segment, then maybe that would speed up his timetable a bit. As for the next most likely guy, that's a really tough call. The first name who comes to mind for me is Matthew Robertson, just because This is a left-handed defenseman that scouts I've talked to, even though they believe that there are flaws in his game and they'd like to see him play with more aggression and physicality and they feel like the processing of the game, the, the quick thinking that you need to do on the ice to make the type of plays that a guy with his skill set is capable of making hasn't quite been there yet. This guy was a second-round draft pick for them in 2019. He has had some some good stretches in the AHL, and you feel like at some point 
they have to give him a look. So Matthew Robertson, I, I think, would be the next guy I would say after Othman. The thing with him is the left-handed side of that defense is deeper than the right-handed side right now. You know you got your three NHL guys in Lindgren, Miller, and Gustafson. And then behind them, you have Zach Jones, who is a natural left-handed defenseman. So that's four guys right off the bat in front of him. And then on the Hartford squad, I think the Rangers might be more likely to call up, at least at this point, if they had to make that decision, Ben Harper, who they clearly trust and used in that sixth and seventh defenseman role last season. So that would knock Robertson down even further in the pecking order. And I even wonder about Connor Mackey, who's a guy that they signed in the offseason and has some NHL experience. Would they call Mackey up before Robertson? So there's a lot of guys that would need to get leapfrogged or multiple injuries or something like that for Robertson to get a crack. But still, I kind of think he's the next most likely because you look at some of the forwards beyond Othman who would be making their NHL debut and are with Hartford right now. Brett Berard, Adam Sikora, Ryder Korzak. Those are all guys who I think really need substantial AHL experience before the Rangers are going to be comfortable throwing them into the NHL fire. Young guys who are undersized and probably need to adjust to the physicality and playing against grown men elements that I know the Rangers have harped on with them. So I think there's a lot of development that still needs to happen with those guys before they're really going to be NHL options. A couple sleepers might be Bobby Trevino, who is a guy we've talked about before, who played all four years in college, was a top, top NCAA player for UMass, and I thought looked pretty good in stretches at this camp. So he's kind of a long shot guy that maybe could work his way into the mix if he's having a good season. Matt Rempe is another sleeper. I would throw into that conversation. I know Laviolette was really impressed with him, not just because of the fighting that he did in the preseason, but because he's a really big body who has no problem with the physical elements of the game. And Laviolette said he feels like he's a pretty good skater for his size as well. So in a fourth line type of role, I think Rempe has kind of put himself on that radar. Adam Edstrom, also a guy who I think has a similar skill set to Rempe and from a strength and size standpoint, you feel like those guys would be able to handle the rigors of the NHL. So I'm throwing a lot of names at you right now, but those names I'm throwing at you, whether it's Berard, Sakura, Trevino, Rempe, Edstrom, a lot of that's going to be dictated by how they play. Like, I don't think one of those guys is anywhere close right now, but if they go to the AHL and they're having really good seasons and injuries happen on the NHL roster, maybe one of those guys ends up getting a shot at some point this season, but I think most of those guys, the ETA is probably more likely next season. And then the last guy I would mention is Dylan Grand, who's a top goalie prospect right now. But even him, I think he's fourth in that goalie pecking order. Obviously, you have Igor and Quick on the NHL roster right now. And Louis Deming, who's a veteran for Hartford, I think if the Rangers did have an injury to one of their goalies, Deming would be the first guy up. Garand would be number four there. So he would need a couple injuries to happen as well. So I'd come back to Robertson. To me, Othman is the most likely to make his NHL debut this season. And Robertson would be number two. And then after that, it's take your pick of those other names that I threw out there. All right. With that, that is going to do it for this week's episode 
I appreciate you guys listening so much. Thank you for submitting. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing and downloading and all that good stuff. I'm super excited. I was just saying this to Mika today. Like, even I get a little amped up and jittery for these opening night games. I mean, I might not feel quite as excited when we get to game, like, number 63. <laughs> or at that point, I'll probably be a little more tired at that point. But right now, this is what it's all about. New season. We don't know what's going to happen. High expectations. A lot of different possibilities. A lot of different players to watch. A new coach to watch. A new system to try to dissect. So there's a lot of different things that we should really be excited about with this Rangers team right now. And, of course, you guys know I'm going to be throwing all kinds of content your way in the coming days, weeks, months. Be I'll be in Buffalo. I'll be driving with the crew that I told you guys about to Columbus. So I'll have a lot of different stuff coming your way in the next few days. Please, please, if you get a chance, uh, we do so appreciate anybody reading and subscribing because I, I really pour a lot of work into the stuff that I write and try to make it thoughtful and engaging and interesting for you guys. But... For now, it's time for me to go get my hair cut because got a few SNY appearances coming up in the next few days. So I'm going to try to look somewhat fresh and time for me to spend one last night with the family before flying to Buffalo in the morning. So until then, I love you all. I thank you all. I will talk to you guys all next week. And I'm going to leave you with one final word from my son, Vincent Jr., who I told you guys about earlier in the show, was running around the house screaming hockey. He came into our little podcast studio and his excitement is probably at a similar level to a lot of you guys right now. So here he is telling you to get ready to watch some 